the rare Champion of Hope Awards honor individuals and foundations who are making exceptional strides when it comes to rare disease advocacy and change. On November 12th at 7 p.m. Eastern, Global Genes will honor the awardees in this year's Rare Champion of Hope celebration. This is always one of the most moving events for me of the year, and it, it's a chance to hear from really remarkable people doing extraordinary work on behalf of the rare disease community. There's no cost to join in the celebration. If you'd like to register to watch the event, go to globalgenes.org and pull down the events tab. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Nell Miaski Lua remembers the way her mother used to keep extensive journals documenting the symptoms and treatments of her brother, who has a rare immune disorder. It served as inspiration for Folio Health, which has developed a platform that allows patients and caregivers to maintain health records, manage their conditions, and communicate with their physicians. We spoke to Luo, founder and CEO of Folio Health, about how patients are using the platform, its potential to gather real-world data, and how the data it gathers can be used to advance the understanding of rare diseases. Nell, thanks for joining us. Hi, nice to see you, Danny. We're going to talk about Folia Health, real-world evidence, and Folia's platform for gathering patient data. I-, I thought we could start with your family's experience and how that led to the creation of Folia. You have a younger brother with a, a rare immunodeficiency Tell me about your brother and his condition. Yeah, so uh, my brother has what's now known as CVID or common variable immune deficiency. Uh, Used to be PID, primary immune deficiency. And as you can kind of tell from the names, it means general immune deficiency and we're not entirely sure what. (laughs) Common variable, primary. Um, And he was very lucky that he was diagnosed a lot younger than most people are. I think the average age for diagnosis of CPID is in um, someone's 30s. And he was diagnosed uh, when he was very young, a toddler. And uh, we were lucky in that. But, you know, my parents and my brother have gone through now a decades-long experience trying to understand more about the condition as, um, you know, researchers understand more and figuring out the best treatment plan because, um, you know, this this class of conditions basically causes someone to have uh, less uh, IgG than other people do. So they're not really able to respond as well to infections. And uh, what they ultimately need is replacement therapy. But what's interesting is that the replacement of the IgG doesn't knock out all the other symptoms. And so increasingly, a lot of people with this condition have been found to have autoimmune complications as well. And in my brother's case, over the past 10 years, that's really been what um, he and his doctors have focused on is the autoimmune side of this um, dysregulatory immune disease. Were the doctors your brother saw well-versed in the disease? Did he have a, a single point of care or did he go from doctor to doctor? 
Yeah. So I think as is, <laughs> excuse me, as is the case for many people um, in immune deficiencies, it takes a while. You jump around doctor to doctor to get a diagnosis. And then once you get a diagnosis, you see, still see multiple specialists. Uh, so in Paul's case, my family was very fortunate to be able to um, access with my mom, you know, really um, spending a lot of time on the phone with the insurance company <laughs> trying to figure out how to pay for it. Um, a lot of different specialists when uh, we were growing up. So we did family trips every year, sometimes multiple times a year to different East Coast um, children's hospitals. We were in Boston, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Baltimore. Uh, I grew up in Buffalo. And so all of these were, you know, six to eight hour car trips. And we had uh, seven kids in my family. So we all piled into the van, you know, drove eight hours, got to the waiting room. Um, my mom would often bring me in to the appointment to help take notes because I was the oldest and my dad would figure out what to do with the kids for a couple hours. Uh, so we we had kind of it was interesting. The the many physicians were kind of a fixture um, of you know what even the siblings knew about about Paul's condition. Your mom was left to document his illness and, and treatments. How did she go about doing that? Yeah. So my mom is an attorney, so she's really good at um, you know documentation. She, I don't think she took a single science class in college, and so this is all completely new to her from the medical perspective. Um, but she realized very quickly, you know, during the diagnostic process that she was the only one who was hearing all of the information. And often the clinicians that she spoke with had contradicting opinions. Um, and she felt that she was the only one who actually could pull it all together or was willing to pull it all together. And so she started taking very detailed notes, um, keeping records of every appointment, um, every treatment, and also all of my brother's symptoms and changes. And at this point, she actually has a bookshelf. My brother is um, in his late 20s, and she has an entire bookshelf full of her notes and Redwell folders, um, you know, meticulously documenting what's what's happened. So how did that experience lead to the creation of Folia? So it's interesting. I think as you know, I'm sure many of your listeners have had this experience um, themselves of becoming their own kind of record keeper and, and understanding what's going on. One of the frustrations my mom experienced was that once you have all that information, it's very hard to know what to do with that, how to make it actionable. Um, in my mom's case, you know, she, I, I know she told me that she remembers the one resident who read her notebook <laughs> because it's, you know, it's not something that we have set up as part of our medical system to, you know, intake all this information um, from a patient or from a family member. And so she felt that she was left with all of this very important information that she really was the only one who could see. And sometimes she was able to use it, but often she felt like it was, um, you know, a road to nowhere. And fast forward a little while, I had been, um, I would say, kind of curious and also frustrated because of my brother's experience and you know everything that my parents went through trying to get the most accurate and personalized care. And I uh, went to school thinking I was going to become a doctor, realized that you know public health is actually the discipline that kind of looks more at um, solving systemic issues like like this one. And what I realized when I started doing some research in public health, specifically around um, chronic disease outcome measurement, you know, how do we understand how people are changing over time 
and responding to treatment in, in chronic disease, I realized that there are researchers who are looking for this type of information um, in order to help clinicians make better decisions about diagnostics and treatment. And my mom had it in her notebooks. And so for me, you know, it was kind of this um, realization that there were, we, we think of it at Folia now as um, uh, feeding two birds with one scone, the scone being the information that's in the notebook. You know, wouldn't it be great if you could use that information both to get that back to my mom's and brother's doctors so that they understand what's going on with more precision, but then also to get that information uh, to researchers so they can understand more about the condition. So the idea of folia came out of that, you know, how can we help people to capture those insights in a way that can be used uh, for both of those uh, very important and kind of currently data lacking use cases. For listeners not familiar with Folia, what exactly is it? How do you describe what the company does? Yeah, so we think of it as um, we are the best home tracking platform that there is for people who are living with a complex disease. Um, and when I say people who are living with it, we we are inclusive to both you know the patients themselves and the family caregivers, um, you know many of whom are doing a lot of the record keeping as well. Um, and so Folia has developed into a system that is an app and a website that people can use to catalog what they're noticing, both, you know, changes in symptoms and behaviors, as well as what they're doing about it, you know, therapies, um, routines that they've set up, even changes to diet and sleep. And then uh, we have an analytics system that helps people to use that information to get better care for themselves and to send their information to their doctor. Um, so that, you know, instead of trying to remember when was that really bad headache, you have it in front of you, you know, you have a graph that shows how the headache or how the fatigue was changing over time. Um, and then on the uh, research side, we have a research platform that uses that exact same interface that people, uh, individuals can use to track their own care to also send research questions um, for decentralized or hybrid trials where people are answering information to investigators who want to understand uh, what they're experiencing in the real world or at home. What's the business model? Who, who's your customer? Yeah, so we have decided to monetize fully on that research and population side and to make Folia totally free for individuals, mostly because from an access perspective, when we thought about you know, a, a plan that would allow individuals to pay for access to Folia, it, it's just hard to figure out how to make that work so that everybody can uh, use Folia as they need it, with, regardless of their economic circumstances. And so to try to make sure that we're very equitable, we decided to figure out a business model that um, allowed for free access to all individuals. And so what we ended up realizing was that uh, research is a great business model. It's something that um, kind of fits really well with the capabilities that we've built and also um, is something that our users, our individual users, are actually really interested in participating in on Folia. So um, we also have a program that we call Data Dividends, where people who participate in research data sharing through Folia um, actually get a little bit of the, um, it's a revenue share, so they get a little bit of it back in the form of gift cards. Well, let's start with the, the patient side of Folia. The app, it's free to patients. What does it provide them? What can they track with it? And, and how do they use it? Yeah, so we think of the concept of what you're trying to do when you track or when you 
even think about the uh, changes that might be happening with your body as kind of this mental burden. So it's like, okay, I have this thing I'm realizing is happening. I know it's important. It's about, you know, my son I'm realizing is so much more fatigued and seems sick. And it, it seems like it's getting worse. And I don't know what to do with this information because it doesn't seem like something I should call the doctor about quite yet. But I, I just need to do something with it. It's a feeling a lot of people have. Um, right now, what a lot of people do is they write it down on a post-it or in a notebook, or we've seen some crazy like Excel spreadsheets that people have built. Um, and they try to you know, create a record that they can go back to so they can refer to it and see what's going on when they do talk to a doctor or when they change their treatment. And what Folia does is it makes that action of trying to get that out of your head and put it somewhere that you can use it um, a lot easier and a lot more dependable. And so it is an app that asks you multiple choice questions based on what you tell us you're paying attention to. So for instance, if you say, um, you know, I'm a fibromyalgia patient and I'm paying attention to changes in um, how much my pain is interfering with my life today, you might receive a set of multiple choice questions that are geared toward understanding that. And they're the types of things that reflect what you would have written in your notebook, but instead you can just track it with a click of a button on Folia and then you have it in a data format so you can go look at it in graphs or data tables you can send it to your doctor and you can also contribute that data point to research if useful as well. And what does the app actually do for them? How, how do they extract information from it and, and use it to manage their conditions? It totally depends on the user. So, you know, some people we think of as very um, kind of self-directed patients or caregivers, and they're using Folia because they want to be able to see those graphs themselves. So they want to go look at that fatigue graph over time, and they just want to see, okay, I noticed that my fatigue was way worse for three weeks in July, and I also noticed that I started a new medication then, and I want to, you know, now ask my doctor about whether that was a side effect because I noticed that in my graph. So they, they really use it as a kind of self-awareness um, and education tool. There are other people who use Folia primarily to communicate with their clinicians. So similar type of information, but then the output of it is in a uh, download that we call the appointment guide, where they can uh, download a report from the app that has the information um, put in a really easy to understand way for the clinician. We've actually done, I think, like 19 <laughs> different iterations of the appointment guide to make sure that it's not overwhelming and it's easy for clinicians to use. Um, and if the clinician has actually signed up with Folia um, for free, but they just have to go through a registration process with us, then they can actually receive it uh, directly in their email as opposed to um, uh, from the, you know, download from the from the patient or caregiver. Um, and then there's kind of a third group of patients who use Folia primarily for research. Um, it's a smaller group, but they're people who um, are really motivated by being part of research studies and they like to you know, sign in and respond to questions that uh, researchers need them to, to respond to. This is not only a way for patients to gather and track data about their own conditions, but also a way to gather real-world evidence that has the potential to advance research and drug development. What does Folia do in terms of gathering and sharing data with researchers and drug developers? Yeah, so the way that we think about um, data sharing is that it has to be 
completely within the context of um, programs that are you know really useful for patients. And what we found is that um, we've been really pleasantly surprised, I think, by the level of interest from drug developers on you know using this type of insight to create programs that not only you know end up with really efficacious drugs, but also um, the ability to understand how those therapies work in a real real, real life context, how individuals um, you know respond to those therapies over a long period of time outside of you know the first uh, phase three trial. So it, it's been honestly very cool to to realize that there is a, a really nice kind of agreement between what the patients need and what um, the drug developers are working on. Um, and what we have been doing is uh, primarily a set of post-market um, uh, work with drug developers, but we're starting to move um, before approval as well. And we're looking at doing some phase three work um, going into 2021, which we're really excited about. What control do patients have over their data, who has access to it, and, and how it's used? Yeah, so for those who are you know really interested in this, because this is a very important topic, we have a whole section on our website about this, and you know please check it out and also let us know if you have additional questions. Um, the The short answer is that there are a couple different layers of thinking about um, data security and privacy, and then the use of data. Um, the very base layer that everybody talks about is HIPAA. And that's just making sure that like, okay, things have to be a, a general sense of private and secure. You're not going to want, you know, a fully employee to read your record and go tell somebody about it. Like those are simple things. Um, but then there's a second layer, which is, okay, assuming that things are, you know, private and secure, how do we think about what the intended use of the data is and what that individual user might be comfortable with or less comfortable with? And the tack that we've taken on that, which, you know, I'm very proud of, I think it's something that we're leading um, the field on, is radical transparency. So what that means to us is that we are very, very clear, and we write about it all the time, um, about what we do with data that people track in Folia, um, how you can turn off any sharing privileges that you give to us. And then also when you are part of any um, study or any research program that we're running, you actually see a list of every program that your data is currently being used in. And at the end of the study or research program, um, we then make a commitment to sharing results with the participants so that you're not kind of in a weird vacuum, which I know my family has been in, I'm sure other people have, where you participate and you have no idea what ended up happening um, at the end. So once you go from being a self-tracking device to a data gathering tool for real-world evidence, there are issues about the quality of the data and data standards. What kind of considerations have you had around these issues? And have there been discussions with researchers or drug developers or regulators about making it robust enough for even clinical trials? Yeah, absolutely. That is actually what we spent about the past uh, year to 18 months on, um, kind of focused what we found is that not only you know, is there work that we've had to do to make sure that our data is, as you say, robust, complete, we understand missingness, we understand um, how to interpret the data that Foley is collecting alongside more traditional endpoints like uh, you know, clinical endpoints or device collected endpoints. Um, but also we have to realize that this is kind of a new space, right? So there are things that 
uh, as Folia is developing them, they're actually being developed for the first time. So um, what we've ended up doing is, first of all, we've had a, a couple of fabulous um, early champions at our early customers who have really, you know, been next to us this whole time figuring out these problems um, and understanding, you know, how to how to get to the point where Folia data is um, just as robust or even actually more robust and more useful than the current standards of, you know, clinical and claims data. Um, but then also we have uh, pulled together a scientific advisory board of experts who think about things like novel endpoint development, uh, real-world evidence usage, and how to analyze it, uh, N of 1 studies, and also this concept of, um, you know, the personal threshold versus population threshold, and, you know, how, how we think about the different methods through which we can understand how people's outcomes are changing. Um, so that's something that I, I think has been really exciting. And um, we, at this point, you know, going into 2021, we feel like we have a lot of these things figured out um, and we're excited to start putting them into practice. What do you see as the potential for the platform to not only change the way patients manage their own health, but advance research into their diseases? Yeah, you know, to answer that, I think I'd give you an anecdote. Um, we have been so amazed by the initiative that patient communities have taken across, you know, at this point now we're working in uh, cystic fibrosis, autoimmune, immune deficiency, um, neurological and behavioral disorders. And we've seen across all of those that um, when you give individuals the opportunity to not only respond to existing, you know, PRO questionnaires or clinical endpoints, but actually you allow them to tell you what else they're paying attention to. You kind of look at the data that they want to track as signal generation to understand more about what they're experiencing. You find some pretty incredible stuff. And I think that is really the frontier of you know, how research is going to be done. Um, so you know, as, as an anecdote, one of the things that we found to be really remarkable is in the autism community, there was a signal generated by um, individuals, parents who noticed that there were significant GI symptoms that were happening with their kids. And just through, you know, talking about that with other members of their community and with uh, clinicians, they realized that that was actually something that was in common with a lot of people who had, you know, pretty severe um, autistic behavioral issues. They also had pretty severe GI issues. And now this is a really interesting kind of line of inquiry that, um, you know, I'm sure there are Plenty of your listeners know a lot more about than I do, but um, that was generated solely by the observations that were made by the individual parents. And I think that is, you know, just a, just one example of what can be done um, when you, you know, democratize the, the uh, way that data is collected and the way that we think about what endpoints and outcomes are. Nell Miaski Luo, founder and CEO of Folia Health. Nell, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, 
on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. <laughs>